Good morning, loving church family. And I mean that with all sincerity, I am humbled before you today, (laughs) knowing that I'm among friends. So this is my first first attempt at preaching. So I, I pray that you'll be patient and pray for me as we go. I had a friend tell me one time that, you know, all preaching really is is one beggar showing another beggar where the bread's at. And it's true. It really is. So we have visitors here this morning. I I want to welcome you. I want to encourage you to come back. If you're looking for a more polished message, our pastor will return. Okay, so don't go away thinking this is all there is. Okay. our text this morning is found in Jeremiah chapter one. And the, the title of my message is a message, Jeremiah, a message of opportunity and encouragement for us today. And let me read through the chapter and then pray. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, You shall go. All that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, Have you seen? You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing north, away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north the evil will break forth out of the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north declares the Lord, and they will come and they will set each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against all its walls round about and against all the cities of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offended or have offered sacrifices to other gods and worship the words of their own hands. Now gird up your loins and arise, speak to them all, which I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah, to its priests, to its, to, and to priests, its priests and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we open the scriptures, we pray that you open our heart to the message. Father, we mean to do serious business with you this morning. As we learn about Jeremiah and his message, Father, not only his message to the children of Israel, Father, and the nations around, but the children of your church as well. Father, I pray that this morning, if there is anybody here who does not know you, that the gospel will be clearly preached, that they might repent, Father, Just as Jeremiah beckoned his people to repent, may our people repent as well. We give you all the praise and honor. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. The location was the Argonne Forest, France, in October 8, 1918, and Europe was in its fifth year of what became known as the Great War, or World War I. 
Over 16 million people, men, women, and children, were killed during that five-year period of time. And the United States had one million men committed to France to fight. The traditional honorable way of fighting wars in the past with cavalry and sword had been replaced with new horrible tools of war, such as the machine gun, airplanes, tanks, long-range artillery, and poison gas. The All-American 82nd Division was assigned the task of breaking out of the trenches and capturing a key position in the Argonne. It was the later part of the war they knew if they could break through and capture their objective, the war would end. In that unit, a young corporal from the backwoods of Tennessee was one of the first to lead a squad over the top, as they called it, over the top, out of the trenches, across no man's land, and into the objective area. But he had to go through the kill zone first. Soon the whistle blew, signaling the assault. And the corporal led his men directly into the withering fire of machine gun and shell fire. As he witnessed his friends being blown apart by the shells and the machine guns, he realized it was a hopeless attempt. And by the time he located the remaining NCOs and men to regroup, most of the men and leaders had been killed. All that remained was the corporal and eight of his own squad members to stop 32 machine gun emplacements up on the ridge. The corporal devised the plan to sneak around, sneak behind the enemy, go up through the woods and attack the emplacements. And in the process, he captured 80 enemy soldiers. But they were still not able to get to the machine gun emplacements. The corporal had a plan. He, he told his men to duck down, guard the prisoners as he ventured forward single-handedly against the gun emplacements. As the bullets chewed up the ground around the corporal, he was untouched. And remember the words of David in Psalm 91, 7. The thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not approach me. During the, this battle, the young corporal single-handedly destroyed all the gun emplacements, killed 23 soldiers single-handedly and captured a total of 132 men. As a result of this action... Sergeant Alvin York was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross and the Congressional Medal of Honor and became one of the nation's most beloved heroes. Now, I don't relate that story to you to uh, glorify a man or war or to even promote um, his um, patriotism, but there's a part of the story that most of people don't know about, and it goes like this, that the men in York's unit knew that he had a Christian character and had a testimony. He was often seen witnessing to soldiers about Christ. When asked by the generals how he was able to accomplish so remarkable a feat in battle, he wrote in his diary, God gave me the assurance that I would come home safely from the war and that I had a duty, a task, a mission, and a reason for going all throughout the war, I felt his presence and his safety, his protective hand, but grieved for the loss of the souls all around me on both sides. It was my duty to stop them guns, he says, to save others. And that's what I'd done with the Lord's help. So the example that we see this morning with Sergeant York is that when God gives us a task, he provides us with the capability the protection and the presence to accomplish that task. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, my message called an opportunity and encouragement for us today, Jeremiah, sounds kind of, kind of an odd uh, text or kind of an odd title because if you understand what's happened in the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, you'll see that uh, there was nothing to really be encouraged about during that time. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Why? Because his message were, messages were often dark and sad messages. They were condemning messages. And uh, he was in his office for 40 years. He didn't really have very much positive to say to the leaders, to the princes, to the rulers of the land. Unfortunately, the story does end in disaster and uh, the people uh, reject his message completely. Jerusalem is sacked and the people are carried off to Babylon 
and stay in captivity for 70 years. On the surface, it appears like it's a very uh, depressing, very discouraging so, uh, story. There, were, there really are no victories to celebrate, no battle successes out there. There are no King Davids out there that are um, triumphing during these times. In fact, God has written the obituary for his beloved at that time. He's written them off. He says, that's it. I'm not going to put up with any more. You people are done. In fact, it got so bad that, you know, Jeremiah, according to tradition, actually ended up in Egypt and was uh, martyred by his own countrymen for speaking out against their sin. The only success Jeremiah had during his, his ministry was that he actually saw his, some of his prophecies come true with regard to these cities being destroyed and the people being captive and carried off. Not a very positive, positive experience. Yet Jeremiah 1 is a very inspirational story at the same time. Inspirational to many Christians, including me. I would often endeavor to read the story if I was launching off on some personal task, uh, either in the military looking for a, a new position or a rank promotion of some kind, or even in business as an income goal. I was shooting for the affirmation that God was going to be able to bless me. Now, I've also heard this chapter, chapter 1, in particular verses 1 through 10 that I just read, talked about at different conferences and conventions. Motivational speakers would get up and uh, use this particular passage as some kind of a magic formula for success. You know, a lot of the churches that we uh, know would use this passage for what we call the health wealth gospel, the name it, claim it gospel, whereby, you know, the hearers can somehow figure out a formula, a magic formula that will help them become successful because, in their opinion, God don't make no junk. Another passage that's often applied, misapplied, I should say, is the prayer of Jabez. Many of you have heard of that, okay? Uh, these people use these passages as a way of um, kind of evoking God's favor, that God is some kind of a personal genie to help them fulfill all kinds of personal needs. Uh, kind of like a celestial bellhop out there, just really there for your beck and call. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to lay down big plans for yourself and for the church, to think big, to dream big, to trust God in big ways okay, for yourself. Or in the church. No. Of course, we have to go to motive to figure that whole thing out. And that's for another, another time, another message. But God's ways are not man's ways. And his ways of dealing with a sinful, disobedient nation like the children of Israel and Judah don't fit very well in the health, wealth, gospel message, do they? And just as we read in this chapter, God is getting ready not to bless his people, but to curse them, to punish them. And he needs a special messenger to put out there to the crowd and communicate that information. God is doing, going to do something very, very big, something very special. And as the southern preacher says, it ain't good. Okay. So I've got a two-part message. And in my particular message, there's some sub-parts sub that you'll, you'll see. Um, and so the first part, my first point is that my... My first point is that God calls all of us to a task. So if you've got children's notes or your regular notes, God calls each one of us to a task. Let's go to verse 4 in Jeremiah 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying... See, God communicated directly to Jeremiah. We don't know what form this took. You know, Moses saw a burning bush. Jacob had a dream where he saw people going up and down a ladder. We've seen fingers on the wall. We've seen talking jackasses. We don't know exactly how God did communicate with Jeremiah at this time. It might be that he was laying on his bed because it says in verse 17, now gird up your loins. He might have been laying down. He might have been just relaxing. We don't know. Whatever the word was or how it was communicated, it was plain and understandable. There was no doubt about what God was trying to tell Jeremiah. It was a personal message, not direct to the priests. Now, if you understand Jeremiah's background, he comes from a family of priests. But it didn't go to the priests. We don't know why God chose Jeremiah for this particular task. Doesn't seem to be anything special about Jeremiah. 
He wasn't from a big city with a lot of rabbinical training or background. He was really kind of a nobody from a small town in Benjamin. You know, the other night, I think it was last Sunday night, Lance uh, uh, Menon preached, uh, preached a sermon about uh, how God uses and chooses nobodies for his bidding. And if you think about it, we could have a whole message on the nobodies God has chosen to do great things for him. We think about Abraham. Why did God choose Abraham? Think about the story of Gideon. Who is Gideon? The angel said, you're a great and mighty warrior, Gideon. He's going, who, me? How about Mary, a little gal from Bethlehem, a little teenage girl to become the mother of our Savior? I believe that God chooses, chooses nobodies, including people like Moses. Moses actually was a great man in, in Egypt, but had to go into the wilderness for a period of time to be brought down. I believe that God chooses nobodies, people of non-renown, so that he could get the glory. So that it comes all from him. The bottom line is God gets the glory. Verse 5 talks about how God approaches Jeremiah. He establishes his authority and he selects him to do it. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Truly an amazing statement. We see this uh, stated in other parts of the Bible. Uh, David, for instance, that was said about him in the Psalms. Isaiah, it was said about him. And John the Baptist. God says, I formulated, I formed you in the, in the womb. I knew you before you were formed. And uh, not only did God know Jeremiah before he was formed, but he created him for a particular purpose, a task, an ultimate, an ultimate uh, mission that was designed uniquely for him. He then consecrated him or selected him or commissioned him by announcing the task he was called to do. He was to become a prophet to the nations. Now, another way to look at this is not only was he a prophet to the nations, he was also a prophet against the nations. We'll see how that works in a little bit. But if you think about it, there is Jeremiah being selected, handpicked by God to do a special mission. It's a very special privilege. Wouldn't you think that Jeremiah would say, wow, this is Jeremiah's lucky day. This is my lucky day, Lord. Out of all the priests in Judah, he was selected. What an honor, right? See, Jeremiah now gets a chance to join the few, the proud, not the Marines, the prophets. Okay? The few, the proud, the prophets. Now, of course, Jeremiah was familiar with prophets. In fact, the last prophet that came on the scene, actually, things didn't work out for him very well. His name was Isaiah. He got a little politically incorrect and told the king a few things that the king didn't want to hear. And ultimately, he was martyred. He was sawed in sunder with a wooden saw. But Jeremiah knew what it meant to be a prophet and how different it was from being a priest. And what is a priest? Well, a priest is a person that basically represents the people to God. And they do ceremonial things like sacrifices and religious rites, that type of thing. They represent the people to God. They're the go-between between man and God. But the prophet is somebody that's hand-selected by God to use God's words. God puts his words in the prophet's mouth and represents himself to the people through the prophet. So he is God's spokesperson. So what are some of the tasks that uh, God has assigned Jeremiah to do? In verse 10 it says, See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Okay, so we see that actually Jeremiah did have three functions. And uh, if you go back into the book of Jeremiah, we don't have time to turn to all those particular passages, but Jeremiah did speak against all the cities in Judah. He spoke from the temple area and spoke to all the representatives that came to the temple to worship. At the end of the day, he was nearly killed for that, but he did speak to all those particular cities. Another thing he did is he spoke against false prophets in the land at that time. And then finally, he was a prophet to the nations in that known world region. And some of those nations were as follows. Judah, Israel, Egypt, Babylon, Elam, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Damascus, Kudur, and Hazor. You may be unfamiliar with some of those names because we all think that maybe Jeremiah was a preacher to his own people, to the Jews. 
but he wasn't. He also preached to the Gentiles, which gives us some clue as to what God is trying to do in that country. Not only is he trying to show his mercy to his own people, but he's extended that mercy to the known world, the Gentiles as well. So why is Jeremiah sending this kind of a message to Israel? Well, if you read through the entire book of Jeremiah, all 52 chapters, you'll find out that God doesn't come across and say something like this. I love you people and have a wonderful plan for your life. Okay, he doesn't say that at all. He comes across with something vastly different. So if you turn over to chapter two. And we start reading here in uh, verse 20 through 23, it says, For long ago I broke your yoke and tore off your bonds, but you said I will not serve. For on every high hill and under every green tree you have lain down as a harlot. He's calling the people of his choosing harlots. Why? Yet I planted you a choice vine, a completely faithful seed, How then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? Although you wash yourself with lye, you scrub yourself, you take your, your washings, you try to wash all the sin, all the filth off of you, you use much soap, the stain of iniquity is before me, declares the Lord God. How can you say I am not defiled? I have not gone after the bales. Look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift young camel entangling her ways and so forth and so on. And how Israel and Judah are running after uh, false gods. Okay, So we see a horrible picture of a sinful nation. And it's Jeremiah's job to tell them just how sinful they are. They are completely corrupt because of idolatry. In fact, let's go back to chapter 1 again. Look at verse 13 to 16 and tell... It tells what God is planning to do with these people. He says this in in verse 13. He says, The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. A boiling pot facing away from the north. Hmm, What can that mean? Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north the evil will break forth on the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdom of the north, declares the Lord, and they will come down, and they will set each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all its walls round about, and against all the cities of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifice to other gods. This boiling pot to the north is actually Babylon. And Jeremiah is is making a prophecy here that the king of the north, Babylon, in fact it was Nebuchadnezzar, he's not actually to the north, he's kind of to the the east. But he's got to go above the mountains and down. So the actual entrance into Jerusalem is from the north. And so he's making this pronouncement. He's pronouncing that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, terrible things are going to happen, and the king doesn't like this. He actually gets kind of politically incorrect here, and so the king throws him into a cistern, which is a well, another term for a well, okay? Well, as I said earlier, the title of my message is Hope and Opportunity, or Opportunity and Encouragement for Us Today, but it doesn't seem to be too encouraging so far, does it? Looks pretty grim, (laughs) pretty dismal. But there's some very huge reasons to become encouraged this morning, brothers and sisters. There really is. The first big encouragement that we see here is that God tells Jeremiah about his abundant mercy. Turn over to chapter 3 with me for a second. Let's look at verses 12 to 15. Chapter 3, 12 to 15, it says, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declaring the Lord, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord. For I am a master to you, and I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, 
who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. And so, what Jeremiah is saying here, or what God is saying to Jeremiah is that, look, there's an opportunity to escape. There's an opportunity for redemption. There is hope. There is encouragement. And so what we see here is we see the beginning of the thread of the gospel, don't we? The thread of the gospel goes throughout the entire Bible, and it's woven or woven in our scriptures. You know, we don't have just an old covenant and a new covenant. Like the old covenant is bad, we, don't, we disregard that. We don't pay attention to that because that's old. You know, we got the new covenant. Now, we have to understand the gospel is very much present in the Old Testament as well. And here, Jeremiah is reaching out to Israel, the northern kingdom. And there's a strong appeal here for the gospel. He's inviting the ten tribes to repent, return to God, be converted, seek reconciliation. And if they do, God will forgive their sins. God will reconcile them, reunite them, not only as a nation with Judah, reunite them as a country. But again, we see some glimpse of the gospel being shared. Now, uh, Darren read from Jeremiah 31. I just want you to turn there real quick with me for a second. Jeremiah 31, verses 27 through 34. We're not going to read the whole thing again. But... If you've been listening to any of Steve's messages over the last couple years regarding this passage, where do you find it in the New Testament? What book of the Bible class? Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Exactly right. And this is what Jeremiah is telling the people. He says, you're going to be destroyed, but God will stay his hand if you only repent. He says this. He says, remember, it says he's going to break down. He's going to tear up. But he's also going to build and plant. And it says in verse 28, he says, I will watch over them to build and plant. Okay, and it says down in 31. Behold, days are coming that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out of the land of Egypt. That covenant they broke. Although I was a husband to them. You see, they broke that covenant, didn't they, with the Lord? They sure did. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my law within them. We don't need a written law. We don't need the old covenant of the written law. We need a new covenant. That new covenant is going to be in our heart. I will write it and I will be their God. I'll put it in their heart and they will be my people. They will not need to teach again. Each man his neighbor and each man his brother say, know the Lord, for they will know me. For least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and in their sin I will remember them no more. You see, Jeremiah's message is simple. It's the good news. It's a salvation message. God is providing a way of escape in a nutshell, and the simple salvation message says this. Children, Egypt, Babylon, Israel, Judah, all the other countries, you've sinned against God. God's going to destroy you, but if you repent, God will rescue you. He'll build and plant. All right, well, we don't have prophets today, do we? At least not that I know of. Maybe in some churches they think there's prophets, but we don't think there's prophets around right now. Not the kind we're talking about in Jeremiah. But Phil, we have to realize that there were prophets in the Old Testament. Well, what does it mean to us today? Well, just as there were special appointed offices in the Old Testament, like judges, prophets, okay, and priests, there are positions of appointment in the church today, isn't there? Or aren't there? Those would be positions such as elder, deacon, teachers, evangelists, and so forth. There are some special callings that we have to be aware of in the church. But there there are also some special callings among us that are general in nature. Some of these callings are to love one another, to serve one another's needs, to encourage one another, to pray for one another. These are all common tasks that we're all called to. But there's another type of a task, too, that we're called to that's a special task, and it is the task of evangelism. 
It's the call to all believers. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own profession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. You know, I love the theme of this church. You know, I love the theme of Rock Valley Bible Church. And that's enjoying his grace and extending his glory. And that's exactly what we're called to do. Enjoy his grace and extend his glory to others. It's a perfect description of that common task that we as a holy nation had before the world to witness, to testify of his glory. So just like Jeremiah, God has called us and commissioned us to the task of spreading the gospel, speaking out against sin, talking about the inevitable consequence of sin, and offering up the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And here's how we're tasked. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. What's that task called? What do they call it? There's another name for it. What do they call it? The Great Commission, right? That's the Great Commission. And so our task is to warn others that they will be internally separated from God. We're talk, we have to talk to them about Romans 8.28. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God is willing to save. So here we are, just like Jeremiah, tasked with this big task to warn the nations. So big, so great is the task, but at the same time, so great is our opportunity. It's a great opportunity. So how do we do it? How do we seize upon this opportunity, folks, and complete the task? And this brings me to my second point. Which is another encouragement, by the way. Not only does God call us to a task, but God is present in the task as well. God is present in the task. So if you look at um, the task of the prophet, we've described that. Verse 6, going back to uh, chapter 1 again. Flip back there if you would. Here's Jeremiah's response. He says, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. Now, we don't know how old Jeremiah was at the time that he was called, whether he was 14, 16, age 20, but he was young. And he used his youth and he used fear as a reason to decline God's gracious offer to him. It's kind of like this. That alas that I hear Jeremiah saying, alas, is kind of like, no way, no how, not going to happen, that's impossible, Uh, I'm just a kid, I'm supposed to wait till I'm a little older before these things happen, God. Okay? Uh, around our office, we have this, this saying. It kind of goes like this. Uh, uh, that's the way I roll. Have you ever heard that saying? That's, that's the way I roll. Right, Barb? And I don't know where it came from, but it's kind of like, well, that's the way I roll. Well, you know, Jeremiah is saying, that's the way I don't roll. I don't want to do this. Even though God told him that he was appointed for this task, he wants to beg off. Now, remember that Jeremiah is from a family of professional religious people, the priests, okay? So he shouldn't be rejecting God's uh, claim on his life at this point, but for some reason, Jeremiah is pushing back on God. Jeremiah is pushing back. And uh, if we take a look at why he's pushing back, we kind of get an idea of our own human condition. Not, o- not only do we push back at God, we, we push back at a lot of other things too, a lot of hard things in life. We push back. It's a lot easier to kind of skate around and do the easy stuff in life. And so, you know, it's easy to say that, um, well, I don't want to do those hard things. I mean, I look at people like like John MacArthur, great preachers of the gospel, or John Piper, or C.J. Mahaney, or or Pastor Steve, okay? And we say, hey, um, you know, those are men with special skills, You know, they have the ability to serve, but not me. I'm just an ordinary church attender, you see. Or I can't I can't do the things that Dirk Reet does because, you know, he's so he's so skilled. He's so creative in that area. And Ray Hook, they're so creative in the things they do. There's no way I can do those kind of things. You know, I'm just ordinary. And I I kind of warn people against that. You know, you don't want to size yourself up against other people. That's called comparative analysis. And it's really dangerous, folks. It really is. Um, 
one of the things that um, I do, I, I work out at a, at a health center. I think you know that. You know, I work out with about six or seven other, other people at noontime. And, and I'm the oldest guy there at 59 years of age. I, I kind of hesitate to say this because my mother's sitting out here, and I don't want to give her some idea that I'm doing something uh, dangerous, okay? But, but uh, I'm 10 years older than the next group that I work out with, with the, from, from the other people there. And so anyhow, one day, one of the guys came up to me and said, Phil, you know, uh, we all work out as a class together. He came up and he said, Phil, you know, I'm really encouraged because you're here working out with me. And I said, well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Well, how so are you encouraged? He says, well, I just look over to you, and if you haven't died of a heart attack, we're still doing okay. Okay, well, great. You know, that's really encouraging to hear. That's not the kind of encouragement that I needed to hear at that time, but it's encouraging. Okay. Well, well one of the things we want to find out is, you know, why, are, why is Jeremiah pushing back, and why are we reluctant, reluctant to answer God's call? That's part of the thing I want to talk about here. And I think, you know, we suffer from a natural ailment. Let me tell you what it is. Natural ailment, I call it FOF and FOP, F-O-F and F-O-P. We're reluctant to follow through and do the hard things because of FOF and FOP. What does that stand for? F-O-F. F-O-F stands for fear of failure and F-O-P stands for fear of people. Fear of failure and fear of people. Easy for me to say, right? So I'll just say FOP and FOP. They're two twin brothers that are responsible for us attaining ranks of the underachievement. You know, we're unable to utilize the gifts that God has given us, the abilities that he's granted us. Whatever ability that you have, many times it's stifled by fop and fop. Now, you've seen fop and fop before. Let me give you some examples as to what they sound like. Here they go. Lord, I never went to Bible school or seminary, so I can't preach or teach. God, I don't have the gift for gab. Lord, I'm too shy to witness to anybody. Lord, I'm too young or, Lord, I'm too old. Lord, I paid my dues. Now let the younger people take over. Lord, my friends might not like me if I sound too religious. God, what if I make a mistake? Uh, Or what if I offend somebody? God may tell me to leave my family and go to Africa. It's not very safe. You know, there are a lot of bugs there. Lord, I'm really hurting now, God. I'm really hurting financially right now, so I want to wait until I make more money. Then I'll get involved. Lord, I make too much money, and I'm too important to my company to leave my job, so I'll just support some missionaries, put some more in the offering plate, God. Pastor Steve, I'm not called a witness. That's not my gift. That's why we hired you. Lord, I've got kids now, or I'm responsible for taking care of my grandkids, or, or I'm responsible for taking care of my, my parents, well, I'll just have to wait till they get out of school, die, or move away. Lord, my work is keeping me too much too busy now to, to get involved. Lord, I, I'm really hurting. I'm really hurting now, and you don't understand what's happening in my life right now. I can't get involved right now. Lord, if I get involved, everyone will criticize me, and no one will appreciate me. Boo-hoo. God... This job, family, my in-laws, kids, neighbors, default on the national debt, politics, co-workers, economy, Rush Limbaugh, Fox News, and the stock market are making my life too complicated and stressful right now. Can we wait till things get better? Or the ultimate excuse. You ready for this? I'm waiting for the Lord to show me his will for my life. Now, I'm being kind of facetious, but I'm doing it for a reason. You know, some of these sound kind of legitimate. Some are just plain silly, and I've used most of them myself. So I kind of poke fun about these things, okay? But the plain truth that that these are things that are kind of characteristic of fop and fop. They really are. So as we look at Jeremiah, we we look through the entire book of Jeremiah, we look around the community, we see plenty of opportunities to serve. We don't have to wait for his will to come down in a special dispensation to us. The will is, his will is our, we serve. We serve one another. We serve the community. All right. Verse 7 and 8 say this, though. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm a youth. Now, there's two ways you can kind of interpret this. You can use what I call the, the coach's way of approach. How many of you have been involved with sports in high school or college? Yeah. Here's the way the sports kind of approach would do. It's kind of direct. It kind of goes like this. 
God says, don't do that. We've already gone over that before, Jeremiah. I formed you. I called you. I predestinated you. I'm commissioning you. Don't go there because wherever I send you, you shall go. All that I command you, you're going to say, don't be afraid of them because I am going to deliver you, declares the Lord. Don't do that. Or he could be more nurturing. Okay? Where he says, don't say that I'm a youth because everywhere I send you, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to put words in your mouth. I'm going to protect you, Jeremiah. Hang in there. That's the nurturing approach. Okay? It's up to you to decide how you want to take it. I've heard some commentaries say it either way. But God got Jeremiah's attention and God won Jeremiah over at that point. Now, we want to see how Jeremiah is bolstered by the Lord. How is he encouraged by God? Well, <clears throat> he develops his confidence. And he's bolstered different ways. Um, verse 4 says that, of course, he was on a task. But Jeremiah is sitting there going, well, what do I do next, Lord? You know, when I was in the army, they had a system whereby they helped the soldiers. And those of you who have been in the military, you probably have seen this. You know, they get the, uh, the new recruits lined up at boot camp in a platoon, hand them a, a rifle, and the drill sergeant says, right shoulder, hoops. Okay, and they take that rifle, and what do they do with it? They drop it on the ground, or they hit themselves in the head, or they knock their buddy over with it. I mean, they have no idea what they're doing with that rifle. So the military came up with a system called by the numbers. And it goes like this. By the numbers, right shoulder, hoops. That's the first. The first move is you put your hand on that rifle and you pull it up like that. That's the first move. Then the drill sergeant says, two. Put your hand down here. And he inspects what's going on. And he goes, three. And he goes, four. Okay. So he can evaluate each move step by step. And that's what God is doing with Jeremiah here. Let's take a look at the first move. There's three movements here, and then we'll be done. God takes Jeremiah by the numbers, and this is how he does it. The first move is in verse 11. And God asks Jeremiah this. He says, the word of God came to me saying, what do you see, Jeremiah? And he says, I see a rod of an almond tree. So you kids that have got your notes, it's an almond tree that you want to put down in that blank. Okay, then God says to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. So what is the first particular movement? It's basically listening. God asks Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah says, I see an almond tree. Now, we don't know what the almond tree actually was. We don't know if it was the nation of Israel, whether it was a switch to spank Israel and Judah with. We don't know. It doesn't make any difference. But the point of it is that God is getting Jeremiah's attention. See, he just gave all kinds of excuses why he couldn't do this. So God is saying, well, look, here, are you paying attention to me? He's saying, I'm about to tell you something big, Jeremiah. I'm about to tell you something you've got to tell the nations about. But you know what? If you're not paying attention, Jeremiah, I'm not going to go to level two. You've got to pay attention to what the first message is. Are you listening? God is preparing Jeremiah for his test by giving him confidence in his word. God is getting ready to give him his word. Okay, so how is God dealing with Jeremiah with fop and fop? Well, let me stop here for a moment and just kind of bring it home to us. What happens when God, through the Holy Spirit, shows you something? He says, what do you see, Phil? What do you see, Tim? Lance, what do you see? Tom, what do you see? Greg, do you see something here? One of the things that we have to realize is that, and I'm getting kind of personal here, you know, we have to understand that we need to be listening. We need to be listening and understanding the message that God gives to us. Now, I love it. A couple weeks ago, Jess Miller was here, and he talked about Isaiah. And he talked about how Isaiah went through a personal encounter with God. Well, I hope... Everybody here is going through a personal encounter with God every single day. All right? It's kind of like, this is where we start. We've got to have a personal encounter with God every single day. I like the story of Vince Lombardi. You all know that I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, right? Anybody else a Green Bay Packers fan? Good. All right. That's good. There's some hope for you. Okay? 
What's the first thing that Vince Lombardi said to this football team that played for many years, every, the first day of every season in that locker room? He held up a football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. That's exactly right. And God is saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, are you listening? Are you prepared to receive the message? What do you see? Jeremiah says, well, I, I see an almond tree, God. And the Lord says, you have seen well. That's, a, that's good. Jeremiah, there's some hope for you. There's some opportunity for you. Now, let me give you uh, something that happened, a personal example that happened to me this week. You know, I, I talk with my, my friend Jerry Paulson every day. You know, we kind of encourage one another, share burdens, share victories, share defeats along the way. I asked, I asked Jerry, I said, Jerry, uh, what are you reading? You know, what are you dwelling on? He said, well, Phil, I'm reading through Jeremiah. And I'm through about chapter 25 right now. And, you know, Jerry, I said, what are you, what are you learning? He, Jerry, in a 10-minute period of time, clicked off six things just like this. Six insights to Jeremiah. Jerry, you should be up here preaching this sermon, not me. It was, it was remarkable. <laughs> yeah. I was blessed. I was encouraged by it. That's the kind of personal encounter that we need to have. Not a one-time encounter. Not like, well, I walked an aisle or I raised a hand or I got baptized. Those are all important things, okay? But I'm talking about a daily personal encounter with Jesus through the Word of God. What is God telling you? All right, second movement, by the numbers. Jeremiah tells, uh, God tells Jeremiah in verse 7 and 8, he says this, but I'm not a youth and so forth. Do not be afraid of them. I'll deliver you. He stretched out his hand. He put his words in his mouth. Okay, so he did a couple of things. He told Jeremiah, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. Now, if you go over to uh, verses 18 and 19, it basically says the same thing. We're not going to read it. I'm going to put my words in, in your mouth. I'm going to deliver you from danger. All right. So repetition, very important repetition. God is drilling Jeremiah with the word of God. He's repeating over and over again what he's going to do. He's going to bolster Jeremiah's confidence because he's repeating the word of God again and again. All right. And that's very important. And uh, one of the things that has happened here in our, our office, I'll give you another example and then we'll be just, just about ready to wrap it up. But in our office, you know, this last week we had a little bit of a, um, not really a crisis, but we had a number of people call our office, you know, that we work with financials. And, and some of the clients called us and said, well, Phil, what's going to happen next week when the government defaults on their, mortgage, on their loans? How many of you are kind of worried about that? You know, you turn on Fox News or whatever. You know, I, am I going to lose all my money? You know, I have, am I going to have to go back to work and start all over again? What, what's going to happen here? Well, but we didn't hear from all the other clients, and I'll tell you why. Because every month we do a class. We call it a coaching seminar or an investment coaching class. And we go over the basics of financials every time. Those people didn't call because they know they understand how markets work. They understand that they're not going to lose all their money. They understand that they're not going to be, get rattled when these kind of things happen because it's going to have no impact on them. The other people that don't come, don't bolster themselves with the fundamentals, don't re, get re, repetition over and over again about what it is that they need to understand about their financials. Those people are going to come and they're going to stress about it. And the first response I have to these people is, you've got to come to class. You've got you to go and... And listen to the Word of God preached again and again and again. You've got to go into repetition. That's what it's all about is repetition. So he's going to bolster your confidence. Confidence is number two. The third movement that God tells Jeremiah is in verse 17. It says, Now gird up your loins and arise. He says, Jeremiah, go. Be prepared. Get up off of whatever you're sitting on and go. The best way to gain confidence is to take action. One of the things a friend of mine always says to me, he says, Phil, you want to do this. When you're involved with whatever you're doing, you want to, you want to see it done once, you want, to, you want to do it, and then you want to teach it. See it done, do it, teach it. Get out there and move. There is no excuse for lack of action. You've got to get out there and do it. God knows that Jeremiah is ready. God's prepared Jeremiah. God's bolstered his confidence. God knows ready, he's ready to go out for the task. And so we have to understand that we need to take action as well. 
Going back to my examples of military men, back during the Korean War, a soldier came to the general and he said, Sir, we are completely surrounded. And the general's response was, Excellent! We can now attack in all directions. Isn't that a positive way to look at things, you see? And if we understand, we're confident with the Word of God, we are confident, we are tasked, we have this task that's in front of us, going to all the world to preach the gospel. And he'll be there present in the task. And we'll be bolstered by the Word, bolstered by each other, encouraged and confident. We'll be ready. You know, I didn't read verse 20 of Matthew 28, but it says this. Jesus says, teaching them to observe all things that I command. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we've heard your word this morning. And we thank you for your faithful prophet, Jeremiah. And how you've used his life to communicate repentance to his people and a message of opportunity and encouragement to us today. Father, you at, we ask that you, you would help us to be bold to, to go into all the world to preach the gospel and to not neglect our duty, Father. Please guard and guide us as you help us to overcome fop and fop. And Father, I just want to take a few minutes here and ask these people, my, my loving family here, to just spend a few minutes just confessing, Father, if need be, their fear of people, their fear of failure, their lack of taking up the, the mantle of the task, the lack of acknowledging your presence, Father, in the task. Father, may they confess, as I do daily, need to confess. And it's for your honor and glory that we ask these things in your holy name, the holy name of Jesus. Amen.